The broccoli is oftentimes more expensive than the Cheetos. The broccoli, there's not packaging, there's not branding, you don't see a lot of broccoli commercials. So when it comes down to price, <laughs> we know that something is up. The Farm Bill is like a really complex chapter book it's or like huge. a Swiss yes. army knife. It's like we have married everything in the food system. You know, you've got to go to Farm Bill marriage counseling. You're going to pay attention to something like Farm Bill. They have to take milk. Why do they have to take milk? Because the school receives so much milk and they're penalized if they end up sending too much of it back or lower their order. And so schools are just like, take the milk because if you throw it away, it's less of a penalty for our school. That's horrible. That is yeah. I do think food is the universal language. I think that people not only deserve the ability to eat food, but to eat food that makes them feel good. If we can make it easier to eat, we can make it easier to live life too. This is Edible Economy. I'm Nate. I'm Kim. And we have Amy Nelms here today. Welcome, Amy. Hi, Amy. Hi, everyone. <laughs> And Amy is with Live Well, and she... Live Well, Colorado. Oh yeah, yeah. So um, Amy has some some cool stuff to talk about today. So uh, let's see. Where where do you want to start today? How about tell us a little bit about Live Well and what you do at Live Well and yeah, why it's awesome. Yeah. So Live Well, Colorado has been around for about ten years. We're actually celebrating our ten year anniversary this year. Um, and originally it was an organization that was really meant to focus on healthy eating and active living throughout the state for all Coloradans. Um, and then a couple years ago, Livewell kind of teed its focus in to really work on healthy eating and active living opportunities for low-income people and people of color. Um, and this comes from, you know, Colorado is known as like the healthiest state and people talk about, you know, Colorado is really healthy and it has all these extreme sports and it has all this running. Um, but we it also does, have yeah. some, it does, but it also has some pretty extreme inequities between, um, people who are higher income and people who are low income. And then there's also, um, worse health outcomes for both low income people and people of color at pretty high rates. Um, we're also one of the only states where, um, obesity in children is like on the rise. And so oh, okay. as much as we have all these really positive, healthy eating, active living, you know, farming economy and extreme sports and rock climbing and snowboarding, we also have this other angle of um, healthy food and local food and then spaces to be active um, and spaces to, you know, bike and get to work not being accessible for everyone. So Livewell really just tackles that in lots of different ways. Um, we have programs and policy and then we work in partnership with folks all around the state. So, so you were explaining that the kids, that there's some kids where obesity is on the rise. Is yeah. It, what, what's behind that? Do you Ooh. know the science or do you guys talk about that? <laughs> like, why is that happening? Yeah, I mean, I think that's happening for a ton of reasons. I think in general, being healthy isn't an easy choice to make. I think even when you have the education and you know, oh, if I just ate fruits and vegetables, boom, I'd be healthy but there's all these other factors that play into it. And so something I tell um, folks that I'm talking to in community is that what it really boils down to is when you go to the grocery store and you look at say the cost of a head of broccoli, and then you look over at the cost of the Cheetos that are right next to the um, aisle, you'll notice that the broccoli is oftentimes more expensive than the Cheetos. And that makes no sense economically because oftentimes the Cheetos have traveled further, they have more ingredients in them, they have packaging, packaging they yeah. have branding, they have marketing. 
The broccoli may have gone from one farmer, it could travel state to state, or it could be from Colorado, but it probably went to a distributor and then to the store. There's not packaging, there's not branding, you don't see a lot of broccoli commercials. So when it comes down to price, we know that something is up. We know that something's up in our food system when um, fresh food is more expensive than processed food. And so what that really boils down to, I would say it's less about the science of why people are healthy or unhealthy. I think, you know, doctors know a lot about that. But I think that when we look at, say, the farm bill and other policies we have, we're just really oversubsidizing our uh, cash crops. And that would be corn, soy, wheat, and dairy i'm not sure it actually counts as a cash crop but corn soy and wheat and then we use things but like dairy corn. still has its subsidy subsidies yeah it does things. yeah um but say like corn you know when you look at high fructose corn syrup that's why it's in everything and so because it's so cheap because it's so cheap to make well, but it's, it's not cheap it's subsidized yeah so it's right. it, it's cheap because it's subsidized right. yeah, so it's, that's that's one of the reasons that you're saying this yeah. food the cheetos don't cost as much as the broccoli Exactly. Because you don't get subsidies for growing broccoli or really anything but commodities, right? Yeah, exactly. So anything that's not one of those commodity crops is called a specialty crop. And I always joke that I wonder if our tomatoes and our lettuce feel like, why am I so special? And why don't I get as much money as the corn? You know, (laughs) it should all be a commercial. Now, I can only think of a broccoli commercial in my head right now. Like broccoli (laughs) running around, running along, talking to other vegetables, talking about how special they are. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And being really cheap. Yeah. And then shunning the corn. <laughs> shunning the corn. <laughs> yep. Exactly. That's a great commercial. We can produce it right after the podcast. I like yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. But I think that's right. I mean, I just think at the end of the day, a lot of it boils down to that. That's what you see in stores more often. Those products are shelf staples, so stores don't have to worry about if um, they're going to spoil or not. And then, you know, when you think about schools, schools um, with higher free and reduced lunch rates, uh, schools in lower income neighborhoods just tend to have less funding for school lunch. And so not only are kids um, eating this highly processed food at home, maybe because of time, maybe because of availability at the store, maybe their own parents don't have a stove or a fridge, um, you also have this issue where they're going into their school and then eating highly processed food there. Yeah. And so I think that we focus a lot yeah. and consumers to just choose to be healthy. And just as a person and then in my work at LiveWell, um, I really think it's about making that choice easier for all of us because I don't think anyone across the board is making that choice perfectly every day. And I don't think our system makes it easy. You know, and once you start eating right and eating well, then the other eating the other way kind of it's off-putting. It's almost kind of gross. One of the things that we we work on in pretty much every company that, that we do that's in local food is to make healthy eating, healthy eating convenient and affordable. Because mm-hmm. you go to McDonald's or you know any fast food chain, and it's it's ten bucks, eight to ten bucks per person to eat. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there's a disconnect with people thinking that that's cheap just because it's convenient, as opposed to going to the grocery store and finding meals that are that are that you can prepare that would be cheaper and healthier for that and so one of the things i'd like to see more of is 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 education on how to do it how to actually have those options available to you because everybody's so pressed for time especially if you're talking about a lower income person who has you know more than one job and or maybe has odd hours for their jobs mm-hmm. and can't do those things so do you you guys address that in some of the uh, in some of your programming? Yeah, 
Um, so we address that with really our partnership with Cooking Matters Colorado. They okay, are yeah. the superstars of nutrition education for our entire state, and they do cooking education with Head Starts and senior centers and sometimes schools. And then they also do tours at farmer's markets that participate in Double Up Food Bucks so that people are kind of comfortable and familiar in a farmer's market space. Um, and then all of those classes are actually, they get incentives. So a $10 you know, gift card to the market to right. be able to uh, shop and pick out what's healthy. Um, I think the other thing I just want to call it that Cooking Matters does really well is I'm going to push back a little bit. We focus so much on this like McDonald's story of like people just going to fast food. And I think, I think at this point we're seeing that people are changing their minds, but companies shift too. And so when you see, um, you know, help, like vitamin water instead of Gatorade. Like it's healthier than Gatorade, but it's not as healthy as water. Right. You know? Yeah. And you see granola bars and the amount of sugar that's in them. I think that it's a it's pretty exhausting for the consumer in this current system to figure out what actually is healthy. So I think families transition over to the store. They feel like they're doing the right thing. They're buying scratch cooking ingredients, which does take more time. And then we're finding that there's actually still a lot of sugar content in some of those scratch cooking ingredients. And I think walk down the frozen food aisle and right. you know, look yeah. at some of those ingredients. And I think that you see, you know, people can say fries are bad, fried chicken is bad, but some of those like healthy quote unquote like pizzas like still aren't great for you. And I think sure, it's kind of sure they're loaded pushy. with sodium and sugar yeah. and everything like that too. And, yeah, and they're just branded in this really smart way where if you're a consumer pressed for time and it's already hard for you your family to just go to the store that then to have to like read the labels and figure out which bread has over eight to 10 grams of sugar in it and which bread's actually healthy. I think we're just putting a lot of burden on the consumer to figure all of that out. And then at the same time, like I talked to a lot of families and communities. So what I do with Double Up, it's really focused on SNAP, formerly food stamps. And um, we hear a lot from families who say, you know, I work a night shift. So by the time my kids get home from school to actually like cook the dinner, get them to eat, get out the door for work is really challenging. So I do think there's kind of a time cost that comes into there that. There is. It's, yeah, yeah. it's undoubted. I mean, it, it's for everybody. I think everybody. it's the biggest thing. The, yeah. yeah. Just the lack of time that everyone has right now and preparing. Everyone needs yeah. an Instapot where they can cook a potato in 10 minutes or something. <laughs> I know. Get everyone eating vegetables. Yeah. We can just cook them faster. I know. I think that if we could give everyone like a free Instapot and like, or at least a crock pot, yes. we would be in much better shape. <laughs> and, a, yes. and, and a cookbook that goes along with that. Yeah. Yeah. Of, of ingredients saved of, from the local of farmers markets. things that kids or, will eat. Because then that's yeah. another thing. I mean, how many parents do you hear that say like, they make one child one thing and one child another thing or like my friend the other day was saying like i put this meal down in front of my son every day and then we just look at each other and laugh like why did i even make that i knew he wasn't even going to eat that you know (laughs) (laughs) so Uh, on that point i've heard i i'm sure you've heard about this too amy um but if you give a kid an apple it's a low percentage that the kid's going to eat it Mm -hmm. but if you cut that apple up the percentage goes way way Mm -hmm. up and so, you know, the, the added value foods, yeah. If, if we could do added value foods instead of fully processed garbage. Mm-hmm. Yes. That's a, yeah. Yeah. It's a great point. Like yeah. the salad bags have done wonders for people eating mm-hmm. salads. And- I wonder if that'd be a good idea to have somebody at markets or at, even at the grocery store that you're like, this is the stuff I want. Oh. Wash it, cut it, do something for me, and get you know pay them five extra dollars. That is and then a you great idea. Yeah. yeah. And then you don't have to deal with 
any of the fast foods. Yeah. Yep. And I'll say too, for any of those other, you know, kids who grew up as like latchkey kids who are kind of latchkey kids now, I mean, I had a younger sister and I, you know, my mom was a single parent teacher. And so sometimes like I would have to start dinner and mm-hmm. you know, she trusted me to make things that were in the microwave and macaroni and cheese sometimes. And that's, you know, right. I think for a lot of kids who are in that scenario, having pre-cut apples where their parents yeah. would have to worry, like, is my kid going to chop their finger off if that's what they eat after school <laughs> and like the right. 30 minutes before I can get home. And, you know, I think we can criticize parents all day for like not having a nanny or not having childcare, but it's expensive. And so I just, I think meeting people where they're at with food is, is just a strong case and value add salads, cut up apples. It does that. I, I still get nervous about the salads. Like, this is pre-washed. It's good to go. Yeah, still wash it. Yeah, <laughs> I still I wash, wash it. it. I can't. I, it makes me nervous. Yeah. <laughs> and then, like, you know, what we have going on with romaine right now. Yeah. Um, I, are we able to buy it yet? I mean, it's been, it seems like it's been six or eight weeks. But, yeah. But we wanted to get talk to Joe Miller's point that it's not Colorado romaine lettuce. So everyone, right. feel free to buy romaine lettuce in right. Colorado yeah. at your farmer's market. Comes from Arizona yeah. <laughs> or maybe New York or Florida. Yeah. I mean, I think that gets too to like local foods. Our food system in general does a really good job of keeping things safe. Like the rates of E. coli in the U.S. compared to some other countries is great. And even other developed countries. But that's a big case for local food. I mean, I think that whenever you're transporting things state to state... It's just the time that food spends away from a yeah, fridge right? and a farm. And there's just so much more that can go wrong with any product. So Definitely. that's a big argument, I think, yeah, for shopping it, local. When you've got yeah. more than one thing going in, uh, you yeah. know, you've got lettuce and carrots and chicken. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or something like that. Yeah. yeah. In one truck across yeah. or on a train or something like that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, or even like, and this is tidbit about me i actually can't eat onions that come from certain locations because they travel with other things and they tend to get like cross-contaminated okay. and most people can like process tell me about that it's yeah. super what? weird I it's super weird it's weird <laughs> it's weird but this is why if you see me at a farmer's market this summer i like stock up on onions and then my roommates <laughs> are very kind and let me cure them in my basement um because sometimes when i eat onions and a doctor told me this i don't know i don't have like a scientific backup for it but a doctor said that sometimes because they're sending onions with other products that occasionally onions will grow some sort of like fungi that is not dangerous that everyone can eat but there's some people just have an intolerance to it and so oh, I take my risk every time I eat salsa at a restaurant I'm not gonna <laughs> die but sometimes I don't feel great but I almost feel I almost never feel that if I eat onions from Colorado that are coming from our own backyard at least you contaminated to, yeah to limit it down to that and not yeah. just you know all onions are bad can't yeah. ever eat one again yeah. So that's kind of cool. Yeah. Shout out to Beverly Grant. I'm about a green. She gave me so many onions last year. I like just nice. used the last one maybe two months ago. <laughs> that's awesome. So. Oh, that's yeah. cool. Yeah. So switching up a little bit, um, you've, you've kind of explained a little bit what Live Well does and everything. So what inspired, well, how about talk a little bit about what you do with Live Well mm-hmm. and then we can go into, you know, why, why does that inspire you? Why do you love it? Yeah. Um, so or if I, you love it. I, oh, I really love it. Okay. So, <laughs> no, just kidding. I really do love it. Um, so I manage Colorado Stateway Double Up Food Bucks program. And Double Up Food Bucks is a nutrition incentive program, which basically means um, when folks, in this case, SNAP customers, um, shop at one of our participating markets, for every dollar they spend, they earn a dollar for Colorado fruits and vegetables. So they buy, they get more, and then farmers make more money. It's this triple win program. And then those dollars are really circulated in our local economy. 
Um, it started in Michigan and then it has been scaled up throughout the nation. Um, and then our program is uh, funded by a USDA Food Insecure Nutrition Incentive Grant. Okay. And so, you know, it's kind of a federally funded program, but LiveWell does the local organizing and administration of the program. And then we work with over 50 uh, market managers in the state. So that's farmers markets, direct farmers, um, grocery store retailers to offer the program. And we train um, them on how to do it and then try to offer as much technical assistance as we can around just getting the SNAP community to know it's a resource to making your market um, you know, welcoming and accommodating to all people. And so what are some of the groceries, yeah. the grocery stores that th- yeah. it's available at? I think that's awesome. Yeah. So, um, f- in our first year we had just small independent grocers. So it was grow house in Denver and then revision, which is now Westwood food co-op. Um, and then two that are in the San Luis Valley. So Valley food co-op and fourth street food store. And they're like our anchors as far as like independent grocery stores. We learned so much in that first year from working with them. Um, and then we scaled up. So Lulu's Farm in Brighton participates. We have another one in Trinidad. Nice. Um, and then we also have Lowe's Mercado, the supermarket chain that's based out of Texas. And they have three stores in Denver and then one in Greeley. And so, wow, that's, that's Do you great. guys have a map yeah. of that on your website or anything? Yes, please, awesome. if you're interested. It's double up food bucks, color, or no, double up Colorado.org. Okay. slash where it's at. So like you that's can just awesome. click it. You can type your zip code in and pick how many miles you want to look. So nice. 5, 10, 25, oh, that's cool. and see what's you close to you. And it has all uh-huh. the farmer's markets listed yes. on there as well? Yes. Perfect. I think it's cool, though, that it that it's on grocery stores and that it's available. Yeah. Because, you know, yeah. farmer's markets are generally one day a week for mm-hmm. four or five months. So that's yeah. that's cool. Um, we, we've, we've thought about different programs, and, and I didn't know how available it was to grocery stores. So yeah. I know some of our other partners that we work with are be excited to, to work yeah. and, and get that going in their places, too. Oh yeah, that would be great. We love grocery stores and farmers have told me like if their food is going to the grocery store and people are buying it, if it's going to the market, they just need to sell food and having the more options is better than less. Yeah. So, yeah. So how about you? Why are you, what, what inspired you to do this? Why do you love it? Oh, um, I don't know how long of a story to tell here, but good thing there's <laughs> editing. Um, yeah. So I had been working with the Double Up Food Bucks program in Michigan. Um, I'd, I I was part of a, a community development corporation called Grandma Rosedale Community Development Corporation, and they had a local farmer's market that did double up food bucks. And so, you know, I kind of did that day-to-day interaction with SNAP customers and just really liked the program. Um, and then when it was starting in Colorado, I'm from Grand Junction, and I'd always thought, you know, Colorado could really use this program. We have this really robust farm economy. We have a lot of low-income consumers. Uh, gentrification's a really big problem right now, rising prices. And I wanted to see it come back to my home state. And so when I saw that LiveWell had applied and received the Finney grant, I decided to apply and ended up right back here, right nice. back in Colorado. Um, and then as far as like why I like Double Up Food Books specifically, um, you know, Double Up, it helps people eat healthier, it helps people not go hungry. But I think at the end of the day, my passion for it really lies in the fact that I think that people not only deserve the ability to eat food, but to eat food that makes them feel good um, and to choose the food that makes their families feel good. And so yeah. I think that Double Up, it's not necessarily giving, it is giving people free fruits and vegetables, but they get to choose what those fruits and vegetables are and they get to become, um, be invited into our local food community, which is for everybody. Yeah, that's but a big deal too. Yeah, I think, you know, local food's for everyone, but I think just it's been restricted for a long time and there's kind of a stigma around 
who's our local food economy for? And, you know, there's this thing that we call the 20% tipping point. So if 20% of people in Colorado bought Colorado grown, like we would see thousands of more jobs and, you know, thousands of more dollars in the economy, et cetera. And I think that why not include everyone in that? Why not make it so we're just close to that 20%, you know? And I tell our markets, um, our SNAP customers in Colorado, it makes up about 11% of our population that's currently enrolled in SNAP, and then there's more that are eligible. You mean what, your 11% of the state of Colorado is, in, is enrolled, is enrolled. In, in SNAP? Yeah. Okay. So 5% of those folks shopped with Double Up and we're shopping for local food. We're already a fourth of the way there to our 20% tipping point in our local nice. economy. So. I think it's just about, you know, the numbers and the economy, it's about including everyone. And then just for people, um, I think it just means a lot to be able to shop for what you want to shop for and not to be restricted by your dollars and to be able to participate in spaces like a farmer's market where you get to meet the farmer, where your kids can see their friends, where there's other community resources. A lot of our markets have like nonprofit booths and they do activities. Um, for seniors who are often homebound, any local market, if that's one of our independent stores or a farmer's market, can be a place to just go see your neighbors. And I think those are kind of the fringe benefits of this program, but it's something I'm really passionate about, or just like community spaces around our common language of food um, <laughs> that let people just have power in their food system. Yeah. And it, yeah. it is amazing seeing all of the different, uh, all of the different types of people that come to you know that come to our market that we run mm -hmm. um, to see them it's everybody it's all mm -hmm. different shapes sizes and colors of people and multiple family members or one person uh, it, it's pretty neat and it adds a it adds something to the market because then it's it's more of a complete community mm -hmm. as opposed to I mean, a lot of farmers market have uh, you like I think like what you were saying somewhat of an elitist shopper there right we haven't yeah. really experienced that uh, where ours is as much but it's cool to open it up to everybody definitely i mean we've had we started with double up food bucks mm -hmm. just last year and yeah. the amount of um customers grew every week as mm -hmm. snap customers grew every week and as they found out about as it. they found yeah. out about it and it was so they were so happy and um, yeah. it was awesome to bring people in that were like experiencing the farmer's market for the first time and learning like that it's actually cheaper than going to the grocery store. Especially when you're using Double Up, right? And then, yeah. Especially, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. that's the point. Yeah. Um, but even if you're not, it's still a great deal. And, mm -hmm. and so the stigma of it being too expensive was... Um, we got rid of that, but then just having them and having them come back every week and mm -hmm. knowing how it was affecting their family and mm -hmm. with eating fresh food and stuff. Yeah. And learning, just learning. They were learning to yeah. not buy the shelf stable stuff. Yeah. And then I think too, from like the farmer perspective, farmers can always use more customers and I think connecting Absolutely. farmers to Thank a broader you. range. Yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah, with the double program, I was really, I've been surprised because we ask these questions to farmers every year, like is double up food bucks increasing your sales? Do you have a new customer base? Those things we kind of expected in time to grow, but some farmers have said, you know, I'm getting enough new customers that I would consider hiring more staff or leasing new equipment. I would consider growing more crops which I think is really important because when you think about that specialty crop, commodity crop relationship, um, taking the risk to grow something new is a big risk for farmers. I think people, it is, yeah. yeah, I think we put a lot of pressure on farmers, like grow all our food and we're barely going to pay you for it. And like, 
it's so challenging to be a farmer and to take the risk of, will people actually purchase this funky squash I want to try to grow? Or um, if you've ever tried a kohlrabi, I learned that <laughs> how to cook that when I was a market manager. I okay. never had a kohlrabi before, but I think the farmers were like... That's an intimidating It's an intimidating vegetable. vegetable. I mean, it's huge. <laughs> yeah. And- has to be boiled pretty much, right? Oh or, no, I don't boil see, it. See, I don't even know how to. Yeah, do no, it. I've grown it. You just peel it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you can and then peel it and dice then, it or whatever. Yeah, slice it. You can pretty much do whatever you want with a kohlrabi. It's okay. like it's like a funky cabbage almost. It has kind of that taste. Yeah. And when I was in Michigan, a woman who had grown up in the Philippines was like, "Oh yeah, these are easy," and she just slices them really thin and puts them in stir fry. So that's how I've made it because that's how I learned. But okay. I can try boiling. Um, <laughs> that's like if it was like a turnip or something. Yeah. You like turn it into mashed, mashed yeah. or kohlrabi. cabbage, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think that you know to diversify your crop is intimidating because I think a lot of farmers want to try growing new things. I hear a lot of farmers be like, "Oh, I have this new kind of strawberry. Kind of want to experiment with." Or like, "What if?" There's this type of green that no one's eating. Like, no one's eating mustard greens in Colorado, but they're so fun to grow. And I think that um, finding ways to support farmers to follow that passion and kind of taking away the financial risk of trying something new is really important for not only, you know, their well-being as farmers, the economic bottom line, but also our environment, just have healthy soil and healthy diets and the more colors you and have food security is and food huge. security yeah. yeah the more colors you have in your food system the more variety you have in your food system the stronger it is yeah so i'm going to keep switching gears we're just going to bounce cool. all over the place i love yeah. i love what you're telling us so far okay, so good. Uh, what are some of the aspects of your job uh that people don't know that don't know about or they're not readily available but they're vital yeah I think we have a very, we're in a very unique place with Colorado Double Up because Winnie Peters, Muschetti, and I, um, and she's our director of food systems at Livewell, we both come from kind of a social work urban planning background. And so um, I, th- I know this is a public health program, but I have always come at it from the angle of, I think that welcoming inclusive spaces are key. And so I provide technical assistance with markets um, around just kind of figuring out who the SNAP population is in their own community, around really creative ideas I've seen um, community organizations do to make sure that markets are accessible. And some of these things you can do on a shoestring. I think that we funding limit ourselves a lot of like, I don't have money for chairs or tents. Um, And I, in my past, have been part of a lot of community organizing efforts around getting that stuff for free and just kind of inviting people and and putting a lot of pieces puzzle pieces that don't fit together together and still having a beautiful outcome and so i think a lot of our farmers markets don't realize that i i offer that and that i have a background actually in kind of those community assessments and really enjoy them so um i've been telling our markets like use me this summer and <laughs> buy me to know. have yeah. i do it's like my favorite Kim's part taking mental it's my notes favorite right part. now i'll be talking to you yeah. later yeah. yeah no you should and <laughs> i keep other topics yeah yeah i keep reminding markets like book me for an hour or two to do that and i think that you know it's not stuff that you can't find online the group project for public spaces has a really great snap market guide but honestly it focuses on chelsea market in new york some other new york city markets one that's in san francisco Denver, Colorado, or or Alamosa, like it's not San Francisco, it's not New York right, City, it's yeah. not that kind of dense place. Um, so I just think there are strategies that Colorado could develop that are very central to our life here and our lifestyle and the resources we have and the struggles we have. 
And so being from Colorado, I think that that's another perspective that I've brought to the table with LiveWell. And then I'm trying to think other things that people don't know that I do. I mean, there's a lot of... Or like, even that LiveWell, too. At LiveWell, yeah. I guess another one is I don't think School Food Initiative gets enough um, press. There I, was... Yeah. I agree, for sure. Yeah. So um, we have another program, School Food Initiative, that's much more behind the scenes than Double Up Food Books, but I think has an extremely deep impact. And they are working with schools that have... Um, high free and reduced lunch rate in order to help those schools go back to scratch cooking. And so when schools get, yeah. So if you think about like your individual food budget, it's one of the first things to go is healthy food, you know, because your rent, you can't change that. You can't change gas costs, but you can change food costs by buying lesser quality food or by, you know, sometimes buying higher quality food, depending on how you're, how you're figuring it out. But I think schools go through that same thing. So our schools go through some pretty serious budget cuts and especially during the recession, went through some pretty serious budget cuts. And some of the first things to go, it wasn't going to be math class. It was healthy food. And they would sell equipment or they wouldn't upgrade equipment. And so some of these schools that our school food initiative staff um, go into have microwaves. And that's like it. Or they have chefs that, you know, aren't trained to do industrial chopping. Or they don't have like an industrial carrot chopper, which makes all the difference. And so school food initiative works with food service directors one-on-one to figure out how do I budget to have fresh unprocessed food um, for these kids because they have very limited tight budgets in schools for school lunch and then once we have this fresh food how I store it prepare it get kids to like it all of those things in the very market complicated it to their own children <laughs> yeah market it to these kids in a way that um, fits into the very rigid programs that are school food okay and school food funding and so it's and that, incredible what's that called again school food initiative okay yeah so I've heard that in recent years with the mm-hmm. school budget cuts that like you said they only have microwaves now but like the school systems have this off off-site warehouse where Mm -hmm. all food gets delivered it gets processed and like then distributed to the schools within the district Mm -hmm. at which point they can just like cook it in a microwave yeah or and and so they're now they're their kitchens are they they're not fully equipped like you were saying Mm -hmm. but then they don't have the staff and the hardest thing to get back to cooking at the school is affording staff to do that and exactly. they just can't do that so and equipment or and, is it mainly well it can be either so i know that or like both, with, yeah. i bring up the carrot chopper because i think it's one of the success stories from school food initiative because they will talk about that you know if you have to cut a thousand carrots in a half hour like you either have to have a well-trained <laughs> chef that imagine. can do that who's probably getting paid like pennies to work in the school system Oh, or you have to have an industrial carrot chopper. And so some of this is how do I grant fund? How do I get my school to see the value of this and have something that can chop 300 carrots in a minute? Um, and I think that that also, you know. I'd like to see the machine that chops yeah. 300 carrots in a yeah. minute. That uh, sounds pretty cool. Yeah. I want You can go visit. Yeah. So the food school initiative is like finding grants to help get these kitchens working again. And yes. get funding for employees and stuff as well yeah it's been well it's sometimes grants and then it's also you know they have so for um school lunch and i don't have all the stats memorized the way i do for snap stuff but they get a pretty limited amount per kid and something that i think that you know parents who have the freedom to send their kids with lunch it's a 
fine balance because when you pull children out of the school system, you pull that funding out too. And then the money that the school has to spend on food goes down. And so the kids that suffer the most are the kids whose parents actually can't send them with like a healthy lunch alternative. But then the parents that want their kids to eat healthy, it's like at what point it's just a hard decision for them to make. Sure. Because well, you maybe keep they your can, kid. Yeah. If they can afford it, maybe they should give a couple of dollars or something like that and then send with the lunch. But I exactly. Mean, it's like, expensive, but still. If you can keep your kid in that system and then send them with a the lunch anyway, it it works because the school really needs the lunch funding to offset the kids who can't afford it. And so as parents pull kids out and they have a lower budget, it's also just going through, okay, when what... When you say pull yeah, out, what do you mean? That's what I want to Oh, clarify. sorry. I mean, just pull out of the lunch program. That's okay. a good question. Oh, okay. So like not okay. pull out of school. So, you know, like if you're a parent... So it's a smaller pool yeah. of money that goes into buying the food and so on. And exactly. The, the whole downstream. Oh, so I didn't exactly. know that. So kids have to be like, they're enrolled in the lunch program. Yeah. I didn't know that. I just yeah. remember like... I don't know, in high school, like, if you if you had cash that day, you'd buy something from the cafeteria, and if you didn't, you didn't. I didn't know there was, like, an enrollment. Yeah. Well, you would bum money from your friend to buy your food. <laughs> I always yeah. brought school. my own lunch. That's, yeah. 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 <laughs> and high school gets really complicated for that reason. So, sometimes, so, School Food Initiative is really with elementary schools okay. at the okay. moment because it's the easier system to change. And if you can get kids to eat healthy when they're 6, 7, 8, they'll probably make better decisions okay. when they're 14, yeah. 15, 16. It's hard because high schoolers have so much freedom that like when I was in high school we had off-campus lunch even if my mom had been paying for lunch half the time someone said want to hop in my car and go to Taco Bell you're not going to say no to that when you're 15 you know and so um it's really elementary schools but but just to kind of reiterate your question like when yeah so when parents decide you know I want my kids to be healthier I'm frustrated about what the school lunch options are which makes total sense because it's not always the best food and they say you know what I'm gonna you know, pack my kid a lunch and stop paying the school for school lunch. I see that logic. It makes a lot of sense. But then the problem is, is that takes away more funds and the quality continues to drop. And so it's not the only reason school food's not good. I'm not blaming sure, parents. Right. But it is a tip for like, if you want to make a difference in this system. We could even blame Tabor if we wanted. Oh, yeah. We could blame Tabor for a lot of things. <laughs> but um, yeah. So, yeah. you know, it's complicated. But I think that just getting schools where they're at and, and seeing if they can buy fresh produce is, is really important. And that's hard logistically, too, though, because they, like I was saying, they have this centralized, like, drop-off food location, and Mm -hmm. now these places have to drop food off Mm -hmm. to the schools. And then to make it even harder, wouldn't it be amazing if, like, the farmer could just pull up with his truck and drop it off to a school, which, yeah, hopefully we'll get to again. Yeah. At some point. Yeah. And that's all I'll say for anyone who is fresher with the food system. It's just there are a lot of third party players and sometimes that's helpful because we can have you know a farmer who maybe only farms two acres of carrots and a farmer that farms 50 acres of carrots and when you go to the store it's just labeled Colorado carrots and it might come from farmer A or farmer B and I think that's good but then I also think having these third party players can make it really complicated and it can make it harder to change um, and harder to understand so and then the other I guess the other thing Livewell does that people aren't always aware of is we have a whole policy team um, that does both food policy and then policy around active living, so transportation and making sure as we push through money for roads, we're also considering bike paths and multimodal transportation, so buses and light rail, things like that. So the policy team 
They're awesome. And How do they do yeah. their... Are they down at the Capitol making requests or strategic partners? How do they do what they do? Yeah. So I mostly know about the food side because I'm more involved in that. But, um, <laughs> they, you know, they're based at our office. And sometimes we run bills. So, for instance, we just... Um, ran an initiative through the Joint Budget Committee to have the state allocate what ended up being $190,000 to nutrition incentive programs. So that could be double up, that could turn into a double up version for not just SNAP, but for WIC. We'll see what happens. Um, but they, you know, put that in the, proposed it in the Joint Budget Committee and followed that process all the way through, and then it just passed. And so there's oh, that nice. kind of like how yeah. a bill, you know, if you, I'm just a bill, like yeah, you can rewatch right. that video, yeah. but you know, there's that process and then they do a lot of support work. Um, you know, sometimes we endorse legislation, uh, with the farm bill coming up, there's a lot of farm bill action items. So we have a whole team called the farm bill action team. Are you pretty studied on the farm bill? You know, parts of it, the farm bill is like a really complex chapter book it's or like huge. a Swiss yes. army knife. It's yeah. like we have married everything in the food system except school lunch. And sure. yeah, we've married it all together into the farm bill, which is good and bad. But yeah, we, we're actually contemplating having a show that's just on the farm bill because oh, you should. we hear yeah. farm bill in the news. And then I, I mean, it, it's a driving factor and force yeah. in a lot of different areas of life. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's even affecting current polls in, in politics and stuff like that. Yeah. And, and I mean, we don't know a whole lot about it. Yeah. And I think it's one of the largest bills in the whole federal government. Yeah. I'm actually surprised how the news or even like local advocacy organizations, the farm bill's not on a lot of people's radar. And it really should be because it includes money that goes into things like rural development, forestry, um, it has our safety net for SNAP included. I mean, it is just a dense bill that includes lots of ways of life. So if you are a hiker, you should care about the farm bill. If you eat fruits and vegetables, you should care about for the farm bill. That's where all these subsidies live. Um, if you drink milk, you should care about the farm bill. So basically, if you're eating Wait, food, so if you're I, walking I've around. Pause you. On the milk. So I remember, I don't know, this is probably this is probably five or six years ago. or It was the last time that the farm bill was... Mm -hmm. Because it's not every year. Right? It's every four years, yeah. So the last time, I, and, I, and I'm sure it's the same reasoning and everything right now, but I remember the, the argument was, if we don't do this, milk is going to go to $12 a gallon. Did you remember hearing that? Why, what in the heck did that mean? Why? What, what are they talking about? Yeah, so the milk system is really complicated, just like the farm system. But I would say as far as independent dairy goes, like independent dairy farmers are suffering. Um, a lot of them are just losing land and um, losing the ability to support a dairy farm because of heightened land prices and heightened costs of things like gas and, and water. You know, cows also have to drink and eat. And so as other prices go up, so does milk. Okay. Um, but then there's also this larger kind of, you know, just like we have big ag corn, there's big ag milk. And so I have... Personally, I don't think big ag milk is suffering. I understand that independents are. And so I think that... Yes, if we aren't subsidizing milk, independent dairy farmers sometimes do suffer, but I will also say that most of our subsidies aren't going to them anyway. So there's gotta be a different way to, okay. to help. So farmers. that's what they were saying yeah. is, if we don't subsidize milk, it's gonna go up to $12 a gallon. And yeah. That's, that's essentially what they were saying? Or... Yeah, I think so. I mean, I've also referred to vegetables, so I don't wanna give people like misinformation, no, that's but a, my, yeah. my understanding is no. I'm not gonna hold no. you to it. Okay, yeah, I was like, you know, as a person, I, I this isn't the live well position, but you know, as a person, I don't <laughs> yeah. think that's true. I think milk would have stayed 
Right. And we have an excess of milk. I mean, you also hear about, so school lunch again, like kids are actually, they have to take milk in lots of schools unless they get a really special note from a pediatrician that says they're lactose intolerant. Why do they have to take milk? Because the school receives so much milk and they're penalized if they end up sending too much of it back or lower their order. And so schools are just like, take the milk because if you throw it away, it's less of a penalty for our school. That's horrible. That is nuts. Yeah, it's what nuts. But like that is the system, and so and you're not so allowed to. So there's somebody compete. behind there that's getting paid, and they're like, "Oh no, you better take our whole contract." And yeah, uh, they're like way up there, you yeah. know. I mean, it's not something that school food directors necessarily want, but it's even that you yeah, can't market. Yeah, no, I market. didn't think it would happen even at yeah. the local level. And yeah. nothing can compete with milk in a school. So like you can't start promoting water. So if you think about a lunch line where kids are um, taking milk versus taking water, if you say, oh, let's put the water up front to encourage kids to drink water, you're not allowed to do that. And so that's the complex system Ugh. around milk. And that's why, I mean, along with this whole Farmville thing. Could you imagine doing that to, to our son? No. Here you're going to drink milk with every single meal. Oh. Oh. <laughs> I, I mean, I, yeah. milk tastes great with cereal. Yeah. 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 And, and there's a lot of buzz around is milk healthy or not? I'm not a dietitian. Like I said, I'm a trained yeah. social worker. Right. I, I don't have, I do drink milk, but then sometimes I stop drinking milk because I don't feel like it. So I don't really have a lot of. Um, yeah. You, but you, you don't know, drink saying. it with every lunch, do you? I don't drink it with every oh, lunch. In no. your little, it's like with, in your little with carton, my oatmeal. Yeah. It's no. nice and warm. And, <laughs> oh, oh, no. Uh, no. Do they I mean, at least offer them chocolate milk? Oh, yeah. Chocolate okay. milk's a big... If you want kids to drink milk, just throw some sugar in. It's, yeah. It's right. more likely to happen. But there's yeah. already so much sugar in right. milk. It's I know. so bad already. I know. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> so I think, you know, just bring this back to, like, you know, for people who are consumers or farmers, <laughs> you know, so you don't feel like, ah, oh, this is just so discouraging. I mean... I think the decisions we're all making as consumers are hard. I don't think the burden is completely on us. But yes, learn the Farm Bill if you can. Or, you know, join our Farm Bill Action Team where we like send out a lot of blurbs or the policy updates from LiveWell. We try to make things translatable. We do not tackle the whole Farm Bill because, like I said, it includes forestry and a bunch of other things. And so if you care more about that, there are organizations that also kind of tease it down. Um, Seems like it should be split up. Like, that should not all be included together. Well, it's complicated because the nice thing about being together is I would say that the Farm Bill is one place right now with the I'm not feeling as much like this but in general it's one place where um, Republicans and Democrats work very well together and well, that's food because, is the great the great uh, bringer together it, it is <laughs> but then by tying all of this into a really complex knot it's much harder for people just to oppose things because there's leverage built into that system so it's sure. like if you know one group cares deeply about farmers and one group cares about SNAP recipients they have to find a compromise because they both live in the same bill. Yeah. Right. And so well, that's and, kind of and a nice the outdoors thing about it. or hunting. It's kind of like marrying those two. Yeah, you know? exactly. So if you just if you marry them, you know, you've got to go to farm bill marriage counseling. You can't just <laughs> it's much so it's hard to separate them, but I don't think we want them to be totally separated either. Yeah. Yeah. It's just huge. I mean, it's it's such a large yeah. swat to, to have in one yeah. thing. And because it's so technical, it's not necessarily the sexiest issue in people's minds. And so I think just a lot of people don't know how much of their lives are controlled by this massive bill that's like being reallocated in November. So if you're going to pay attention to something like Farm Bill. So it's the next big uh, big thing that we'll hear about in, in, you know, on the news and politics, maybe? Yeah, it might be. <laughs> so um, 
Man, we, we danced around. I have a group of questions, and we've, we've either hit a bunch of them or we've talked about small portions of it or almost talked about it on almost everything. But So I have a few more. What impact does LiveWell have on the local economy? Yeah, so I mostly know the numbers for Double Up Food Bucks, but obviously everyone can look at our school food numbers as well. But I will say that between SNAP and Double Up Food Bucks, you know, that program launched in 2016. It's been two years. It's not that long. And we've already circulated nearly half a million dollars in the local economy. Nice. And it's just going up. So, like, yeah. I think that thinking about this is a is a local economy staple is really important. And that's primarily a farmer's and, market, but a little bit at grocery yeah. stores. So it's about 75% farmer's market. And then most are grocery stores because their independents are, you know, shopping from Taproot or Arkansas Valley Organic Growers, which just nice. conglomerates yeah. small farmers' food. And then even Los Mercado, they order through American produce, but that's still money that goes straight to Well, and they still have to, it still yeah. has to be Colorado produce. Yeah, it still has to be Colorado produce. Yeah. And I have been a stickler with that. There are programs that do double up that in corner stores or grocery stores kind of make that um, adjustment. And that's not in our future right now for this program. I think that it's really important that it's Colorado grown. Good. I'm glad to hear and that. And that it's, yeah. you know, regardless of where people are shopping, that it goes back to our local economy. Um, and then, you know, I, I include it with SNAP because, you know, double up food bucks, so that's closer to maybe about 300,000 and then there's another two to 300,000 of SNAP at just our locations. But I say half a million, not just because it sounds better, but because I think it's really important that we see the SNAP program as money. Like people hate on the SNAP program so much, but those are all dollars that people are spending on food. And if they're spending them at your farmer's market, that's good for all of us. It's not just, it is helping people, but it's also helping us in return. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. helping It's helping the farmer, it's helping the person who needs yeah good it's, ha- food it's helping the cashiers it's helping yeah. yeah the guy who has to drive the produce truck to Lowe's I mean it it, tr- it trickles all over our system you know yeah right it, it really does and it stays in the system I can't remember the facts but there's something like for every dollar that stays in the in the, in local, the local economy, economy. it's like six dollars it's like the equivalent of six dollars somehow some way anyways yeah it, it's a lot better yeah <laughs> So uh, talk about the connection from LiveWell's perspective or from your own perspective mm-hmm. uh, about the connection between physical activity, food, and health and uh, why it's important not just to the people that are eating well or trying to eat better and exercising, but why it's, it's, uh, its effect is important to the overall community and every, you know, each little community. Yeah. It's, it, it, yeah. Yeah. I'll leave it to you. Okay. Um, yeah, so I mean, I think that obviously for health outcomes that both exercise and food really matter. And actually a really interesting study came out that just said that if you can scratch cook, you're already doing way more for your health outcomes than, you know, a lot of other... considering that exercise in, in and of itself? Oh, it might be. It sometimes feels like it. Yeah. <laughs> um, I baked bread for like the first time this year. It's work, actually. Um, especially if you don't have a bread maker. Yeah, okay. But, that was yeah. my next question. Yeah, I don't have a bread maker. But yeah, so, but I think I, I love to talk about the community part. I think that for both food and, and exercise, I think just having spaces where people are really able to do that just creates a healthier community overall. I think that, you know, some of it's just the effect of seeing other people being active in your own backyard. But then, especially for our physical activity, a lot of that uh, affects like the safety of our communities. And think how much safer it is when you know your neighbors. And what's the easiest way to know your neighbor? To see them in the park that's next door or in the yard or running. Um, I think that 
as we've kind of separated physical activity spaces out of our lives, we've also separated people from knowing one another. And that creates it's just an a interesting fear. perspective. Yeah. Yeah. I think it creates a fear and I don't, I don't think it's a fear that we need to have. And I think that as we think about how do we make our community stronger and safer, it, it is about just getting FaceTime. They say that when you're making a new friend, you really need to see someone about seven times before you feel truly comfortable with your neighbors. You need to see them about seven times. And the easiest way to do that is, being outside of your home and and exercising. Um, And then I also think with food, I just think there's so much that's important about food. But I do think that as far as community goes, I do think food is the universal language. Um, I I like that. That's a good comment. Yeah. I mean, I... Yeah, good quote. You can quote me on that. Um, You know, my entry into food work was very haphazard. And it came from, you know, living in a community in Iowa for about four years that was struggling where there were a lot of local farmers who were growing corn and then you know you'd be surrounded by farms but all of that food would be exported and none of it made it into the hands of the children who lived in that community so it was like the little niche where you see the cycle honestly at its worst and so there's also university there that's why i was there and we found that the university would pull a lot of resources and it was you know, we had some efforts to see how can we work with the resources that are generated through a university economy and then a farm economy and link them better together. And everyone's first topic was we want to talk about food and we want to talk about farming. And if you've ever met a community organizer, sometimes you you let the community take the reins in a lot of ways. And so um, I just learned a lot from from living there and found that populations within our small town who never talked to each other found a lot of common threads through food. And then I saw that go into going into my work in Detroit and then back in Colorado. Um, I think that we all understand the need to eat. And so when you're talking about bigger issues around racial equity, um, around income inequality, it's just more translatable through food because maybe you can't experience um, or understand somebody's experience as say a person of color, a person of low income, or a person of high income, but you can understand the relationship to food and through that relationship comes deeper social change. And so that's like my perspective on food and why I think it's so important. I think it's important to be healthy, but it's also important to look at the system that makes that hard and say, you know what, we are community together and it is actually hard for all of us and to understand the nuances from, you know, five points in Denver to Brighton to Grand Junction, you know, and figure out that the system works differently in each of those places, but in in none of them is everyone being served. And so it comes back to the old saying, like, just break bread together. Exactly. You, yeah. And you get to know each other and yeah, yeah, become friends no matter what your status is. Exactly. I mean, there's a reason that everyone goes to coffee or or eats on their first, you know, first date because it's easier to have a conversation when you have something that you're both going to understand right there. Even if the date is terrible, it's like you can understand that <laughs> I thought the salmon was good. You didn't like the chicken. Well, I'm a vegetarian. That's, I'm a vegetarian. So we Yeah. Food is a great conversation starter. Um, so that's, I mean, that's a lot, but that's really where I come from this work and, and what I'm really interested in. And why I think it's so meaningful. I love that. I, I thought that was such a good uh, good answer to the, the community aspect. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> really, that was that's really cool. It's making me think still. 
So um, one one question that I like to ask of, of all of our guests is if you could have one message that goes out to the world, and this could be your message, uh-huh. from, and I want it to be your message yeah. from your personal experiences, what you do, everything like that. If you could have a message that you know everybody's going to get, short, sweet message, we're going to go into why, what would your message be? Hmm... I do think it would be to to meet people where they're at when it comes to food and when it comes to making these decisions, you know? And so what does that mean? Everything that you just talked everything about a I second just, ago? I think everything okay. I was talking about a second ago. But to understand that I just think we put a lot of pressure, like I said, on low-income families and farmers to solve the system. And I think we all are in it and we all own it. And if you can meet people to understand that we live in a world of single parents, we live in a world where... There are people in my community who English isn't their first language and navigating the store is absolutely exhausting. And instead of getting mad at them about that, I think realizing that if we can make it easier to eat, we can make it easier to do other things too and live life too. And and I want you to talk about something that's not always the easiest, but we we've talked about this before and how to how to approach people because sometimes when you talk about SNAP or say, you know, markets offer SNAP, um, snap where they can get snap bucks and then the free double up food Mm -hmm. bucks with them some people get mad Mm -hmm. like who gets mad amy yeah you know people are like they just are down on on snap recipients and and it's uncalled for and um so amy and i've you mean about, people who aren't on the program? Aren't on the program. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. And, yeah. Don't, and don't think there should be a program, really. Yeah. And so I just want you to talk about some experiences and, and like just a little bit about the, the program in general and how it's not this lifelong thing that so many people have this misconception of. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, I'll start with just in general. I mean, that's true that SNAP isn't this lifelong program that people just don't work and they're on. I think for... For people who don't work, it's actually really challenging to be on SNAP unless you're disabled and actually unable to work. Um, And most people who don't work, it's an emergency thing that people use for about three months. And then folks who are working sometimes two or three jobs and are just not making enough money to have a quality life, um, they're on SNAP an average of 11 months. And so what we find is this is really an emergency assistance program for people. The the folks that used Double Up last year, it's probably only about 30% of them will even be on SNAP this summer. Many of them have found another job or don't need SNAP anymore. So I think just seeing it as that and realizing that life happens, the economy changes, yes. sometimes you know, I, for instance, I have a giant leak in my apartment right now that's making it very hard to live my life. And, and I, I don't own that home. So like, what if I owned it? You know, I think there's a lot of people who are one paycheck away and one emergency away yeah. from being in a lot of trouble. And SNAP is one way to make sure that not only do they have food so they can just keep kind of getting through crisis, but that their kids don't suffer because of those crises or crises and things like that. And then I just think that when it comes to people who are angry about this program, just learn about the stories that, you know, around SNAP recipients, learn the facts about how long people are on it. And then I think that we just have to acknowledge that all of us are working really, really hard. And when we're in a system that's making us fight for scraps, that there is kind of this defensiveness around, why don't I get SNAP? Because I work really hard. Yes, you do. And and across the board with the cost of living in Colorado, I think people should probably be paid more. And so we understand that. But fighting the folks that really don't have another option isn't gonna get us there. 
Um, and especially fighting them at the farmer's market where they're right. really supporting jobs and they're supporting local economy and they're making decisions that benefit the whole community. Right. Like, like you should high really, five them. Yes. Like, you, like we should all be giving everybody like pats on the back for being there. And so, yeah, because it's not the easiest thing either, because no. when you're getting, when you're using snap dollars and double up at the farmer's market, it's a pretty public thing that yeah. you're you're doing. So it's yeah. you know they they gotta they have to ego check at the door for sure. Yeah, in order to do that, that's yeah. interesting. I I just, haven't actually seen them do that. Yeah, to them. I mean, yeah, most of the time it's on Facebook because if you hide behind the screen, oh, it's always yeah. a little. No, that's what I was referring yeah. to. Is like okay. comments when we we're like yeah. Okay. We have snap and double a food box at our market, oh, you know, yeah. so people get mad and yeah. Oh, poor people that get mad. <laughs> yeah, and I just wanted <laughs> yeah. to debunk that it's that it's not lifelong. No, it's not. You, you have yeah. you can only get it for three months. You know, you have to write for something like that. Looking for you have to be looking and, for a job. Yep. Yeah. And SNAP, there's a pretty robust like employment training program. It is state by state, so it depends what state you live in. Sure. And then I guess the other thing I want to mention is. You know, the SNAP budget is currently not funded to the point that it can even be people's full food budget. A lot of folks that I'm talking to might get 15 to $16 a month. If you've ever tried to grocery shop for $15 a month, that <laughs> oh is gosh. nothing. Wow. That is nothing. That's so this sad. isn't... That's ramen That's noodles really or sad. nothing. It's not you're trying even. to eat off of that. Yeah, exactly. And so it's like people are having to make some really complex choices around what to eat. And oftentimes they're spending probably more cash on food. And so to shame them in a space where they, they want to feel welcomed and come back isn't going to help any of us. So yeah. And the farmers saying, don't like that. They don't no. need it. They'll take, they'll take any dollar they can get. Yeah, SNAP is so, just money. Yeah. And as a taxpayer, it really only costs people about $4 a year. The so, average taxpayer oh, pays about four dollars. Yeah, a good, good to know. Yeah, yeah. that's really not that much. Uh, people spend more than that on a latte sometimes, which exactly. is totally that's cool. That's what I was going to say. You know, don't yeah. hate on stuff because it's really not taking that much out of your budget. So yeah, yeah. Awesome. Well, do you have any other any other blockbuster questions I today? I don't right now. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Well, how and how about Amy? Give us some. Uh, where's where can people find out more information? Okay, yeah. And then what's you know talk about some of the resources that you guys have online and stuff. Yeah. Like that um. So if you want to know about Livewell in general, LivewellColorado.org is available. There's a place that describes all of these programs. If you're really excited and you want to donate, we are a nonprofit, and there's a donations page um, for both school food and double at food bucks found on that site. And then just more information about our policy work. You can sign up for policy updates. Um, if you really loved hearing about the Double Up Food Bucks program, we have a separate website for that, doubleupcolorado.org. Um, there are videos on how this program works from the direct farm all the way to the supermarket. So if you're nervous to try it and you just want to know, hey, when I show up at the market, what do I do? Just watch the video. They're about a minute each. Um, there's a map of where to go. There's recipes provided by Cooking Matters. And then if you're excited and you want to tell your community, you can order flyers, posters, door hangers for free, and we will ship them to you at no cost. Oh, that's cool. So, nice. Oh, and you can sign up for our newsletter too. So, nice. Yeah. nice. And you have socials? Oh, yeah. Find sites. us on Facebook, Livewell, Colorado. Um, our double of stuff just goes into that. So Perfect. Yeah. Awesome. And you can find the show notes and all the information Amy just talked about at, on our website, edibleeconomy.com. And you can also... Uh, find us on our socials at Edible Economy. 
Thanks, thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Morrow Media. Thanks, and Morrow Amy, Media. thanks for coming out. Thank yeah, you, Amy. thank you for having me.